0: We've been working with that for a while now. Any comments or questions about your own work with that particular contemplation before we move on? at any aspect of the practice including applications in daily life
1: If, um, as if, as uh, if, sort of like free association. Yeah. One thought will have a word in it, and it will create another uh, thought that's related, and, and it's just sort of all random together. Not very much emotional content at all.
2: hmm
1: Just sort of random. Mm-hmm. Um, that seems to be the usual thing for what's going on. Does that mean? That there are deep underlying things going on that i my concentration isn't good enough to be seeing, no. or is that just what's going on? It seems like it is.
0: Yeah. Are you suffering during those moments?
1: No, it's
0: just. Don't look for trouble.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so um, actually, what uh, other kinds of things that come up? People will report when you let's say if the mind gets a little bit calm and you're watching it, and thought you know, there'll be a lot of partial ideas and thoughts. Because it starts to come up, awareness just cuts its head right off and it goes its way, and then another one and it's a little bit like a lunatic asylum because uh, nothing gets a chance to finish. But you're not trying to suppress it at all. It's just that awareness does that. It takes the energy out of everything. That's what it's supposed to do. So that in and of itself doesn't sound like a problem. That's what's happening. Be aware of it. If it should change, then know that. Now, keep doing it, because sometimes what happens is that, let's say, if you recall, we, when we had an agenda, like seeing the Kalesas, just, let's say, setting the agenda for seeing if there was any greed in the mind or not, or if there was any um, aversion or not, or any confusion or not, and knowing it, knowing if there was or there wasn't. Uh, sometimes what happens is that the mind, go, when it's, it feels that it's being watched, not the, the Kalesas, kind of hide for a while, they kind of crawl under a rock, and then you lose your attention sometimes for a few seconds, and suddenly a, a whole bunch of them come running out, you know, and they just make up for lost time. So, but as long as you be careful, you're not suppressing anything, you know. That that you're, it's really the sword that this yogi has right here. Uh, awareness is like that. It's like a sword of wisdom. It just, it takes the air out of things. They they lose their potency. Uh, so as long as you know that, as long as you're not like trying to push something down, then it's fine. It won't stay that way, is my guess. Right. Yeah. My prediction. Well, it's yeah. exactly,
1: it, my experience is just what you suggest, that when I lose my attention, then I discover I'm lost in something and there's much more emotional charge in whatever it is that I've gotten lost in. And sometimes I then um, say it's some feeling of guilt of something that happened in the past. Then I start to think, well, let's see, which, is this aversion? Is this, you know, and I
0: start thinking about it, which doesn't seem worthwhile. Yeah, no, that's often, uh, in, it's kind of decked out as something uh, worth doing. Yeah. But it's really, um, on, it's confusion. Or greed, hatred, it's delusion. as delusion is always wavering, it's not sure, it's, there's darkness, there's hesitancy, there's conflict there's um, stalling, there's all of that. Those are aspects of mind. Not, not that sometimes it isn't legitimate, you really don't know what to do, or you don't know what's happening, but very often when, when the mind is like that, you know, it's this kind of, if this would be the expression of it, sort of. And so, the, now it could be genuine, you know, but don't work too hard to name them. That's not really as important as just to be with what's there and let it go. Do you have moments when there's not much thinking and it's just pretty much empty? Mm-hmm.
1: It almost seems visual. It's almost as if there's a gray a gray wall or something.
0: Could it be like an empty screen? Yeah, an empty screen, yeah. exactly. Yeah. You're normal. <laughs> That's my reaction. Yeah. yeah. Anything else? If not, I'll I'll move on. It doesn't have to be a question or a problem. It could just be what uh, some experiences with your own practice. the breath uh or have you found the breath to be helpful in doing that or not?
2: I seem to be dragging the breath a lot of the time when I'm moving. Um and I, uh, I, I contact the breath more when I'm touching for uh an emotional back to the
0: breath. But in both I can it's my body as the breath. Yeah. Could I um interpret that and see if it if it holds up for you 'cause I I've, Um, you have good awareness of the body and movement anyway now and so you really don't need the breath necessarily to help you. If you want to, you can. But you're in tune with your movement. But then the others have to do with emotion and what was the other? And thinking. Often there we need the help of the breath a lot more because we can get lost easier. And so then you're more and more bringing that in. Does that sound like what you're doing or is it just my trip? If you always remember, the key thing is the mindfulness. That's the heart of Buddhist meditation, is mindfulness. Without it, the center has to close down. That's the whole thing. It's the core. It's so many other things that needed as well, but that's the heart. If that stops beating, there's no vipassana. So if the breath is helping you to do that, then use it. And if it's not, or some people just enjoy being with the breath. They don't really need it, but it just... They like it, they enjoy it, and it, uh, they could be aware with or without it. But that's for each person to, to find out. We're not trying to uh, suggest that the uh, that Anapanasati is the only way. It isn't. It is a way and a very good way for some people. Okay, if anything else? If not, I'll... I'd like to see if we can cover a few more of these... We won't be doing them here, and I'll I'll suggest talk a little bit about them, and then you can do them on your own time or not, if you like. Okay, the ninth, all the nine, ten, eleven, and twelve, it's called a tetrad. Those four all have to do with the mind. The four before that all have to do with feelings. The four before that all have to do with the body. And essentially, what we're doing is more and more, we're taking the sting or the power out of conditioning. We're learning how to calm the body down. We're learning how to calm feelings down. We're learning how to calm the mind down. Pretty soon we'll be calmed down. Okay. When we get to what are called dharmas, the last four, uh, then it's really uh, 100% the wisdom endeavor. And we're preparing the heart for that. Because an unprepared heart can't do it. Not really very well. Again, it's not that you have to be perfect, but there has to be a reasonable level of uh, tranquility and steadiness for some of the insight work to be done, for any of the insight work to be done. So let's move on now to the 10th. I'm breathing in and making my mind happy and at peace. I'm breathing out and making my mind happy and at peace. The yogi practices like this. All four of these contemplations have to do with slightly different ways of getting to know our mind. They're all about self-knowledge, getting to be more familiar with the different ways in which the mind is. Now, we've already been doing that in all the other steps, starting with step number one. You can't help but catch a glimpse of how the mind works. You can't help but catch a glimpse of even some of the principles of Dharma. They've all come up, and uh, I'm assuming that you've learned something on the way. And we've been happy sometimes in some of the different contemplations or just an odd moment here or there. So it's not like any of this is new. What's different is that now we're giving our full attention to it so that whatever gets us to feel happy, whatever gladdens the heart, is fine. But what we're interested in is that the, the gladdening, that the heart has got some happiness in it, and so that we can contemplate that directly and get to know happiness. Now, it's really the happiness of the Dharma. You know, you could take, if you love ice cream, you could take an ice cream cone and start licking it on a hot day and they'll feel a little bit of happiness will come, and then you could become aware of the happiness. And then you, let's say, put the cone down and just be aware of ice cream happiness. But I wouldn't exactly call that the happiness of the Dharma. Not that that has, is a waste of time; it's a part of life, and so it has some value. But this contemplation, what its meaning has to do with uh, bringing Dharma into our life, so that we, uh, so that it brings happiness. The happiness is Dharma happiness. I'll, I'll tell you what I mean by that. There's no one way to do it. I'll just suggest a few ways. One way is. We're on Contemplation 10. Are there any of the particular contemplations that you've already done from 1 to 9 that stick out, that you particularly enjoyed, that, that you get happy when you do it? Maybe not every time. Does anyone know? Is there anyone that you really like? You know, I, in another setting I've asked, and uh, one person just loves following the long and short breath, and they get very calm and very happy doing that. And so, fine, just do a lot of that. Does anyone know a particular contemplation that somehow you liked a lot more than the others? Concentrating on the breath at the tip of the nose. Right. So that would be four. Yeah. And any of them. Any of you know that which so that you might just go back to that. Of course, that's one you're probably doing a lot of anyway. Or it could be tracking. Or you know, it's really up to you. It could be contemplating the mind itself, the one we just finished. Uh, For example, in my own case. I can get real happy uh, in just looking at the mind directly without an agenda. The happiness is not so much even if I'm very concentrated some days or not so much other days but the surrender part where I have no agenda I'm just sitting there breathing in and breathing out or if I don't do anapanasati just sitting there because I've done a fair amount of that one and I'm just with whatever is there and there's something about surrendering and having no agenda which just makes me happy. It always has, right from the beginning. And so that one, it's almost guaranteed. I could just sit and just, okay, whatever is there. It can be awful stuff, but the fact that I don't have an agenda, you know, it's probably some rebellious streak. I don't know. I don't want any authority. I'm not sure what it is, but the point is that there's something in the surrender that gladdens the heart and I can feel it, independent of what turns up. It's just that act of letting whatever turns up be there and my uh, being happy to just go with whatever is there. And so if I do that one, then I'll feel some happiness. And so when I follow this, often I would do that one. Now, uh, like, you know, we're starting to move towards the finish of this and really any Dharma practice that brings you happiness could be used. If you like metta, you could do some metta. But then when you feel happy, then drop the metta for the purposes of this contemplation, and examine that happiness. Look at it from many angles. Now, this is one of the most fun contemplations of all sixteen. It, for many it's because, and I spent days with this one in a recent retreat, I mean just doing nothing but this one. And just, let's see, how can I make myself self happy? I'll try this way, I'll try that way. For example, you can get the mind very concentrated and there's a happiness and then you drop the, the concentration and just see what that's about, see the consequences, see what it does, see the reactions to getting happy, any kind of clutchiness or grabbiness. Or I do a specific contemplation. There are a number of them. I'll I'll suggest a few of them. One uh, would be to contemplate the good fortune. Now again, you have to feel that it is good fortune. I mean, don't take my word for it. Contemplate the extreme good fortune for having encountered the dharma in your life. Now, if you genuinely feel that, don't fake it. It will go nowhere. If you genuinely feel that, deepen it. Try to, and then, really in a detailed way, reflect on all the things that have come together, all the conditions that have come together, to enable you to be in a position where you could practice. Sufficient health, the availability of the teachings, it could be the availability of this center or IMS, if that's been helpful to you a particular book, a friend that told you about it, enough leisure time to do it. Did I mention health? Money, adequate money, so that that's the same as the leisure time often. And that there's teaching and uh, teaching available and help available and company to do it with. Other people who now more and more want to practice, there was a time where there was no company. If you got interested in this, you really were totally isolated. Uh, myself and others, I've put in five years of having no one to talk to but Tibetans, Indians, and you know they could hardly speak the language. <laughs> Sorry, if, and I look back at it now, it's funny because I had to speak all this broken English for years. Mind broken now, mind broken, what broken? Mind broken now. Oh, no good, mind no good. Yeah, no good, broken mind. <laughs> Those are the people I had to talk to, because there was no one else who wanted to do this stuff. Anyway, so you could reflect on that, and um, you can enlarge that to include a growing sense of confidence and conviction that you actually uh, are not helpless in the hands of suffering of all kinds, that you actually have the resources to liberate yourself from whatever it is that you think is so awful that's happening in your life. I don't care what it is, no matter what it is. I know it's very important. Each one of us, we cherish our suffering very much sometimes. The growing conviction that we have a practice, that we have the ability to let go, to put it simply. Now, again, you can't have that conviction unless you have it. And that grows out of, that's the fruit of the practice. But reflecting on it can be very, very helpful. You know, uh, some of us don't allow ourselves to be happy. Happiness comes along and we cut it off. For example, this morning in an interview, a person, see if I can get it straight. This person has been practicing for a long time and working very hard. And it's starting to come fruit. It was very slow for a while, and now it's starting to, you know, bananas and apples and pineapples is just all coming. Lots of it. But this particular instance, where uh, the person had fear came up, and there was a real uh, comfort in being able to be aware of the fear. He, he noticed that. He noticed that. There We had a kind of meditative exchange, and so I said, well what's in the mind right now i said there 's fear and then he was I said, "Okay, watch it and then he said, uh, I feel happy that i'm i'm able to really be with the fear I'm, i don't care that i 'm afraid in other words i'm not afraid of being afraid. in fact, I feel very happy that it's i'm so concentrated right now, and what i 'm able to concentrate on is fear, and that was new for him because for all of us, we don 't like fear, and we we play games around. It's very hard to just really... Can you imagine feeling happy that fear has turned up? Because you have an opportunity to work with fear. And there was real happiness in his voice. And then, almost three or four seconds later, then he said, but now I feel sad. And I said, well, why? And he said, because I have this quality of happiness, uh, but only with, this, with, with fear, because it's important, and it's vivid, and it's strong, and I know that but I don't have it with so much of the rest of my mind. And I feel, why can't I be as happy with the rest of my mind as I am right now with fear? And I said, whoa, wait a minute. You know. <laughs> and then we explored it back and forth, and it turns out that he couldn't stand the happiness. And I said, so what we, what we work with is say, look, forget about that for the moment. Really uh, reflect on the fact that you've worked really hard for a long time, and now you've gotten to the point, and it's the first time today, where you're able to be, feel fine about fear turning up in the mind. No, no pa- it's workable. It's alright. Allow yourself to feel the joy of that, of accomplishment. Don't worry about getting attached and ego and I and mine. For the moment, drop that. Allow yourself to just have some good old-fashioned happiness at the fact that your practice is starting, your hard work is starting to bear some results that are clear and recognizable to you. And he started to do that, and it was like a new thing. And then what we saw was this, that this mechanism was, in, was something he's doing all day long. There was something positive happened, and he could enjoy the happiness of just so long, about a minute. And then the mind has to find some way, like an invidious comparison, or something to bring him down again. Much more comfortable with them being critical or cynical or, you know, he found a way of making himself not feel happy. Yeah, it's really good now, but I can't do that all the time. Okay, That's his mind, but it's not, it doesn't follow that we all have to do that. And so, allowing ourselves to experience uh, being in a happy state, particularly when it comes about out of Dharma practice, can be very, very nourishing for your practice, obviously. You, know, you begin to allow yourself to experience the implications of what you're doing. Strong resolve, strong conviction can come out of that. If you already have some, good. It can grow and become even stronger. Now, another way to do it, if you have the time, I mean, I had the time on on this retreat, is just go back to to square one and just begin all over and just, um, let's say, do uh, Reflections 1 and 2. And when you you do that well, there will be a joy of accomplishment. Just experience that joy. So that's, again, this gladdening of the heart. Uh, Other ways, see, this contemplation, you're sort of sporting in happiness. You're just finding all these different ways to fill up the heart with happiness, and then you contemplate it. First you generate the happiness, and then you contemplate it to get to know what that feels like, to see the reactions you have with it, etc. It's another aspect of knowing the mind directly. The two best ways, of course, and what I've been saying, some of them have been one version or another of these, is You can either use samatha or samadhi, use the concentration of the mind to generate happiness and then to contemplate that happiness, or even deeper really, finally, is vipassana. Uh, just use the reflection, on just see impermanence and the happiness that comes after you've seen that, or whatever it is. Only now, remember, in this particular reflection, that's what I'm talking about, this contemplation, however you can generate happiness using dharma, a Dharma medium, do it and it's totally personal and then reflect on that happiness okay so see if you can do some of that at home let's move on to 11 I'm breathing in and concentrating my mind I'm breathing out and concentrating my mind the yogi practices like this this shouldn't be news to you right this is an old one every step along the way a lot of what we've been doing is learning how to concentrate the mind it's slightly different though here. What we're doing now is again we're interested in the content of mind because this whole tetrad is about mind. And so now uh, even though we've let's say caught a glimpse of the concentrated mind off and on as we've moved through and sometimes perhaps had strong concentration for a certain period of time, what we're doing now is slightly different. Now we're, however you get concentrated, if it's tip of the nose, fine. Get concentrated. Again, it doesn't mean you have to go into the jhanas or get totally uh, have the uh, apana samadhi. Just get uh, more concentrated than you are at that moment, and then reflect on it. Then contemplate that step stage of of concentration. And then, if the mind gets wanders a bit, then look at that and get to know the mind concentrated, the mind scattered, and go back and forth. And uh, now it's sort of it's slightly different than just being concentrated. It's kind of looking at the concentration. Getting, Oh, this is what it feels like when the mind is very calm and steady. Look at that. And sort of getting to know a concentrated mind. Then we lose it. It collapses. And the mind is wacky and all over the place. And then getting to see that. And what's the difference? How does it feel to have a mind that's scattered, that can't stick with an object, that slips off objects? How does it feel when the mind... uh, lands on something and stays right with it for a certain period of time. Perhaps you'll see that it's really a nice feeling when the mind is concentrated. And it really isn't such a nice feeling when we're all over the place. Now, what that can do is you then could play around with that. You, you feel the concentrated mind and the happiness that's with concentrate that comes with concentration. And as you know, it can be quite extraordinary. But even just a little bit more happy or peaceful is enough for this contemplation. And then you see when the mind isn't that it's scattered, then you contemplate that, and that can really um, strengthen motivation to do samadhi practice. You begin to see the limitations of having an untrained and uh, a mind that's not so concentrated, and you begin to see the virtue and great benefit in having a, a mind that is trained, a mind that is supple and concentrated and clear and workable, because we're going to need a concentrated mind to do vipassana. And so three qualities make up, I'm not talking about uh, deep jhanic states at all, they would definitely have it, but you begin to see that the mind, first of all, is more steady. These are three aspects of this mind we're talking about. It's steady, it can stick with an object. It's also more pure. It's another way of saying the same thing, It's slightly different. By pure, I mean if the mind is concentrated, the, the hindrances are weaker or not there at all. So that means the mind is not being bothered by the kalesas one way or another. It's not grabbing at something or pushing something away or confused. If it were, it wouldn't be concentrated. So that's another facet of that mind. And the other, and this is very important as we get ready to jump into Vipassana work, that it's supple and active. We need a mind that really is fit to do investigation. And you can really feel that, that you have, it's like you've created an instrument that you never had before. And as the mind becomes a little bit more concentrated and free of, I like and I don't like and I don't know, and also that it's supple and that as you can direct it here and direct it there and put it somewhere and then take it away and, so that you have, a tool might be a good word for it, but you have a resource that, that you now have something you didn't have. You built it. You constructed it in your own mind. You, you you reshaped, you re-educated the natural tendencies that you started with, which were scattered, untrained, not pure, and rigid and stiff, out of control, not something that you can actually direct here and direct there. And so, seeing that, getting to know that, that's uh, part of the value in seeing the mind when it has concentration of whatever degree you have and when it doesn't. And then a very important one, and then we'll leave this one, is if you get really concentrated and you feel real happy, perhaps perhaps you come into piti, if you remember rapture or tremendous sukha, a kind of very soothing kind of happiness, or some ecstatic state, or whatever it is, uh, learn about the fact when it, that at some point it leaves, and perhaps there's suffering. Let's say you get really happy because the mind's pretty concentrated. Fine, be with that concentrated aspect, but at a certain point it will change, it will fall away. Because concentration is also a field that is liable to suffering, to dukkha. It's not, it's not permanent. It's, a very, it's an invaluable mind quality, but it's not permanent. It's not freedom. It's not enlightenment. It's not the end of the journey. It's a very essential component so that we can travel. And so you begin... Now, that's to help you have a balanced view towards concentration because a lot of happiness comes from a concentrated mind. Beyond, when it gets very concentrated, beyond what we know in sexual joy or success in business or academic success or whatever it is you like, athletic prowess. It goes beyond that, and yet it's not the end of the journey. And so seeing that, getting a balanced view of it, seeing how happy and invaluable a concentrated mind is, but it's not an end in itself. It's something to be taken, to be appreciated, to be used to develop wisdom. And that comes about, as you see, that it's subject to impermanence too. And so, from that point of view, you can get dukkha just as easily from a concentrated mind as from anything else, if you get attached to it. Okay. Then we move... Now, remember, this is not new. It's just that we're now emphasizing it, looking at it from a slightly different way. We're making it explicit, and it's part of our understanding of the way the mind works, which we've been getting a little bit of right since day one when we started with the very first. It's just more systematic. And now the final one of this tetrad. I'm breathing in and liberating my mind. I'm breathing out and liberating my mind. The yogi practices like this. This one is an interesting one too. And it's the journey is intensifying. Um, last night in the talk, I had to review the whole, all, uh, we went as far as 12. And then uh, let me mention this while it's on my mind. Uh, for those of you who are, who are leaving after tonight, who are not staying for the next five, um, I think the best thing to do is to hear the tape of the talk last night because what I had to do there was review the whole trip, the whole journey from Contemplation 1 and to take it, not in as great detail, but to go all the way through to 16. The next one after this, which is we're going to spend, we may use the whole time for the remaining five weeks is the Contemplation of Impermanence. We'll be using it a lot, let's put it that way. But for you to get a sense of the the full use of anapana. It won't, can't be as detailed as it will be in the, you know, the five weeks, but it will give you some sense of it. So um, that's one way to do it. And if you have any questions, just set up an interview, and I'll be happy to, to go through it in detail with you, in more detail. Okay, in this one, liberating my mind, what we're doing here is we're beginning to move into attachment and letting go. Now, liberating the mind here can be observing the ways of the mind and seeing the most mundane, ordinary ways, to begin with, the way the mind liberates itself. In other words, even if you don't train your mind, the mind is desperately trying to be happy. Unless it's been totally destroyed. And that's not true of any of us in this room. Even there, the mind is trying so hard, it just doesn't have proper ways to make itself happy. That's all we all want happiness, 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 and we just don't know the proper way to, to assemble the right causes which produce the right conditions, so that we will be happy. We have all these courses of action that lead to suffering, because we are told they lead to happiness. And often what wisdom is, is finding out that they don't. And that's the beginning of the spiritual quest, when you realize that some of the ways in which we've existed are inadequate, and that we have to find something else that's a lot deeper and in some ways radically different than the way in which we were brought up. Okay, so that some of the kinds of liberating tendencies in the mind that you might notice are very mundane, very ordinary, but in their own way very sweet as you, get, as you see the mind struggling to, to get happiness. One way is you'll see that the mind will, let's say it, it catches hold of something. Maybe it's, uh, this was reported in the interview, I'm using this morning's interviews a lot, Uh, the person gets attracted to a person in their mind, some person who's in their life, and they're really holding on to it. There's a grasping. This came out in the interview. And then suddenly it dropped it. It didn't like that feeling of being attached to that image of a person, attractive person. And then there were a few seconds of, of peace, but it was really the process of reaching out and then grabbing onto another image that was even more attractive. Am I being clear about that? In other words, the poor little mind, it grabbed on something to make itself happy, some fantasy. And it was with it, but then it didn't like how stuck it was there. And so then it did it. It's not like this person was trying to get free. There was a little pause, and then, it, then he f- found out what this was about, and there was a reaching and an even better fantasy, and then grabbing onto that one. So the mind liberated itself from the first. By itself but the only thing is that what it did is the same dynamic over and over then it tried to grab on to something else to make it happy not fully aware that the grabbing is what makes the suffering the holding the craving and the clinging not the fantasy that's neutral that's what just what it is or the uh, I had really quite a laugh with this one on my own retreat realizing the uh, magic of forgetting that the incredible beauty that there is such a thing as forgetting in nature Can you imagine if all the different attachments that we've had and when those attachments have resulted in suffering, all the different people who have disappointed us in love, all the different times we've lost our job or the weather hasn't been the way we wanted it, or, you know, all the times we've grabbed onto something and then it's been taken away from us. Can you imagine if we couldn't forget, if we didn't have the art of forgetting? You know, there would just be... I mean, when I heard there was be Sandy Weinstein when I was 17, she'd still be plaguing me. I mean, it was, I, spent, I spent a year trying to shake the memories of being rejected by Sandy Weinstein. And just imagine if it never went away. This was back in Brooklyn. You know, like, years later. Just the same, the same anxiety. The same, like, oh, no, not again. You know, yep, sorry, there's no more forgetting allowed. But the mind forgets. It comes up with another way to torment itself, but at least Sandy is out of the picture. That particular form of torment, gone. And you'll see, so the mind liberates itself. I've had enough of that. I can't stand it. Enough time goes by. Oh, I feel a lot better. You have a bad day, and you carry it with you for a while, and suddenly you don't think about the fact that five different negative things happen during the day. We just forget it. Or, you know, we go to a movie and suddenly we liberate ourselves from feeling badly about the day and then, oh yeah, we watch this happen, we cry and we smile, we're happy. And, and you know, it's not like you'd have to take a workshop or do a Buddhist retreat to learn that. The mind is desperately trying to free itself. So, you, you see the mind, the poor little mind, catching on and letting go and catching on and letting go in those very mundane ways. Not sophisticated, not self-conscious about it. And then, Of course, bring it into our practice and let go. That means in this contemplation, and I would suggest during the week, of course, you know, try any of these. We don't have time to do it tonight, and I think it would be best done on your own so that you do what you would like to do. But I would uh, like to suggest that all of us do this one, uh, because that's going to lead very nicely into a lot of what comes next. We move into the last tetrad, the last four. 13 through 16, which is about wisdom itself. And of course, it has everything to do with letting go. So here it's not a letting go that's permanent. It's not nirvana that we're talking about. It's these small letting goes, these small attachments and letting go. So that, pay attention to the mind, and anytime you see it, uh, sometimes it's like thinking, I, I experience my mind when it's doing thinking and getting caught like a little fist. You know, it's sort of like, the thought is like a fist. You know, it's sort of like, uh, and then just open the fist. You know, just let the thought float through it. You know, and, yeah, and then it feels free and then tightens up and grabs onto something else and then just let it go. Just let it go. Let it go. Or it's a little bit like very gently lifting a needle off the phonograph and coming back to the breath or anything really. Let's say the body is in pain and you're attached to that either by aversion. That's attachment. You know, ah, I hate it. I hate it or you keep wanting to have no pain. And what you can do is just sometimes there's usually some part of the body that's not in pain. So let's say you've been sitting in a certain posture for a while and your ankle really hurts and it's hurting, it's not going to go away. And what you can do is then switch to some, let's say, but your chest feels fine. No problem, it's okay. Just go to your chest and just Mahabua would talk about this in in the following way. Let's say you have a mango and there's a rotten part. And you don't necessarily have to throw the whole mango away. Just say, you know, you look at it and you're about to bite in. Oh, it's not that the whole mango is bad. Just go to some part of the mango and now start chomping away at the part that's edible. So let's say your body is in pain. And how do you let go of that pain? Even if it's just for a few moments relief, switch and go into some part of the body that feels fine. It's a little bit, again, like gladdening yourself. You don't have to dwell on unhappiness. But the mind is so rigid, so stuck in its conditioned ways that it's very hard. It gets caught in grooves and then it's, we all know it becomes totally humorless. You know how suffering is? It has no sense of humor. None. And then he said and then she said and then he said and then, you know, okay, okay, can't you see the other? No, it's not funny. And then he said and then she said and then he said and, then, and it can go on for days and weeks and months. Absolutely humorous. Humorous suffering has no sense of humor. Boring. In fact, when you get bored, it starts to... Then the forgetting follows the boredom, and pretty soon, oh, I feel fine again. So, see if you can pay attention to the mind and notice the small ways in which it gets caught. It gets attached. And then very gently see if you can just let go, let go, let go, let go. Don't force anything, but see if you can just gracefully... Uh, release it, it's like letting a bird fly, you know, just let it go, let that thought go, let that, that person, I did this, and they did it. let it go. Let it go, come back to the breath, come back to anything, come back to a bird chirping, look at something pretty, anything, just let it go. Now this is not any kind of final liberation, but it's again seeing, getting some experience with the mind as it learns how to, how to free itself and improving upon it a little bit from just the way it does it anyway. Okay, now, please let's all do at least 12, and of course, you know, obviously feel free to work with the concentrated mind, or sometimes when you find, is very, you find your mind is very concentrated, then uh, devote that particular meditation to just examining what it's like to feel concentrated. The mind is, is fu- filled up with concentration. It's one-pointed, it's got strength to it. Or if sometimes you're feeling, coming out of the practice, there's a certain happiness, then turn on and contemplate that happiness itself. I'm just repeating what I've said. But for next week, please let's all do at least 12, so that we'll have that shared experience together. Yes?
1: The thing you said about forgetting. Yeah. Oh. That didn't hit me right. You, I mean, you haven't put on Sandy Weinstein. The thing is, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing is silly because Sandy Weinstein phenomenology just keeps going on and coming going coming, coming going. To I mean I've
0: forgotten the pain, the attachment and the pain. The
1: specific one, but attachment No, look,
0: if I think of Sandy, I can't make myself feel any pain now. Okay, let me see if I can <laughs> see if I, when, you know when I was in the army and she didn't re- re- answer my letters, it was agonizing. I was in, in Germany, a young kid. You know, waiting for these love letters, they never came. Okay. I can't feel that suffering now. Let's try again. I can't. I can't bring it up.
1: I guess what hits me. If it's the
0: wrong word, but do you know what no, I no, mean? No, I don't
1: think it is. I think I understand what you're saying. I think what hits me every time I'm aware of exactly what you just said yeah. is how silly the whole thing is and the realization of the impermanence of it all. Yes. I mean, just this constant coming going. It's really funny.
0: Exactly. But in the moment that it happens, it's, it's, not, a, funny. Yeah, it's not funny and it's permanent. It might as well be, because that's what it feels like.
1: That's the silly
0: part. Yeah. Um, okay, now, but see, here's where reflection is not used enough. Reflection, actually, the Buddha used reflection a lot. I don't mean to, for you to do it a lot. I mean, do the sitting. That's what we need the most practice with. But from time to time, skillful use of wisdom. Like, you just did it, you know. Just, hmm, look at that. Uh, At the time, it was just the end of the world. You know, your version of Sandy Weinstein. Okay, that was the end of the world. And, my God, I mean, what I was ready to do, you know. To And and now, as I look at it, what was it? Or even if, you know, okay. Because sometimes I can help you during a present kind of suffering. Because it's the same thing. It will eventually thin out and be gone. It isn't quite as devastating as you think it is. Or if it is, it's because you're feeding it. You're not using the practice at all. Suddenly, we go limp. We don't use the practice. We identify with everything. I and mine and I and mine. And he said and she said and he said and she said. And so sometimes that reflection can help you uh, weaken the attachment in the moment so you don't suffer quite as much. Probably it will be painful, of course, the present instance of it all I was trying to emphasize is that the mind itself wants to be free and it just has its own bumbling ways of doing it it doesn't like to suffer and it it'll try to do this and do that and make a phone call or eat a lot of food it's just trying to be happy and it just doesn't know how to do it and all that we're adding is we're just trying to really learn how to do that intelligently and some of it is we we already know a little bit of how to do it and now we're just intensifying that
1: what you said about Shifting focus, I think, is extremely useful because it's the kernel of the thing you're worrying or the, you know, the, the pain, the particular thing, or whatever it is. And to have a level of concentration to be able to move the focus, I think, is extremely helpful. Okay,
0: now that's, again, the beauty of samadhi because uh, that is samadhi when it's pliable. That's what I meant by the pliable part. It's fit. It can just go here. It can go there. Uh, and what it gives you is, uh, put in other words, it would be There are other ways to look at everything. You know, like when we are suffering a lot, when we get attached to something and we're suffering a lot, it's as if there's only one way to look at it. He said and she said, you know, that one. But then what Samadhi says, you know, there's another angle, which try looking at it from this point of view. And often we resist it because we don't want to drop it. It's hard to do that. Um, There was a very great, in, in my own opinion, one of the greatest Buddhist... Masters was um, Joju, a Chinese Buddhist master, and uh, he had a striking way of teaching. And people came from, at one point, someone asked him, uh, what, How do you teach? What, what, what is your Dharma? How do you teach? And he said, I have no teaching. And I said, Oh, come on, what's your teaching? And he said, I don't have a teaching. I don't you know and he said look there are thousands of people coming from all over to China to study with you and you're saying that you don't have a teaching he said okay this is what i mean all i do is people come in front of me i see what their most cherished possession is and i just snatch it away from them that's my that's all i do for one person it's their vanity for another person it's their money for another person it's their suffering you know whatever they're clinging to i find ways to snatch it away from them or you know essentially to teach them how to in effect. And he said, that's all I do. I just sit there and I wait, okay, what's this person cherishing? Uh Uh-huh, okay. You know, and just the money? All right, we'll just go at money, you know. Uh, Do you mean mindfulness?
1: Well, that, that means
0: something different to me. Uh, the mindfulness that we have accessible to us right now is not permanent. Right. It or words, it arises with objects. There's the objects and mindfulness arise and pass away at a staggering rate. Yes. Probably you won't see that unless you do a retreat, because on retreats when the mind gets calm, you can see that objects and the knowing of it. But at a, you could say that the, that. Uh, there is something permanent, otherwise impermanence wouldn't make any sense. But that's, that's the end of the journey. And that is Budo, if you've ever heard that. That means uh, the one who knows. As we all know to some degree, but the final development, it's the same mind, it's the same chitta, it's the same heart. Except now, it, um, when it's fully perfected, You could say that that is outside of, uh, that has nothing to do with being born or dying. And that's, a Buddha is called one who's a fully enlightened one. The name that's given to a fully enlightened one is Buddha, the one who knows. Okay. Now, the fulfillment of that, there's the final development of that, is a pure knowing that is outside of time and change and all the rest of it. But for what we're working with, what's accessible to us, it's... It's changeable in many obvious ways. Do you have the same level of mindfulness whenever you want it? It changes. Yeah, lots. But you'll also see it's that there's a pairwise arising and passing away. Object and knowing, object and knowing, object and knowing, object and knowing. But there is always some kind of knowing, and more and more if you feel your practice is getting stronger, it feels like there's a steady knowingness there. And, and that's because, let's say, if we think of it as moving picture frames, Knowing, 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 but at least the knowing is kind of pretty constant even though there are instances of, different, different instances of knowing.
2: some kind of a blocking up the, the water, the water bottle, and I'm not able to use the water every day. I come here and I know who the person is and I explain it to them, and they keep doing it every day. I see the suffering is when I attach to my own reactions and then I, and applying wisdom to it is um, letting go of that attachment to um, But. Down for a year, it continues to happen. It doesn't
0: change. The wisdom part is a strategy so that. Um it's not a strategy. Uh, when you stick your hand into fire, uh, do you have to take a workshop at Interface to find out whether you should do that again? I mean, you learn. The fire is teaching you. So, like, you put your hand in the fire. Ouch! Now, some people need more than one time to learn that. Okay, now the thing is, you're getting bitten in the same way, or you're getting burned in the same way. You got scorched by who? It's your own mind now. Because let's say the person keeps doing that, whatever you're describing about the water bottle, day in and day out. You keep coming to the center, they keep doing it. Now, for the moment, we're not talking about their part of the contribution. But you start to see that you're suffering a lot. Not only aren't you getting your water, but you know, you're also, your mind is getting burned. And so, wisdom learns to not do that, because to do it is to suffer. In the same way that it learns that by putting its hand in the fire. Cause and effect is profound if you're only willing to let it in.
2: Yeah, I guess that's the bottom line. What it, what, it, what I came up against in my personal life and my work experience was, um, for a while I was able to use my wisdom and awareness. Oh, let go of that. Let go of that's It's happening. Oh, don't get caught. Mm-hmm. But it kept happening, and I found my practice Enough to, um, I got caught.
0: But maybe sometimes, you see, we can't just meditate everything away. Maybe, did you do anything with this person? I mean, it's real or it's just hypothetical? No,
2: this is real, but uh, that, that's why I mentioned I did the other part is I tried to work with the person. Yeah. And that's,
0: that's why I said. And they me. never learned. Of course not, because otherwise there would be something. I, I Yeah. <laughs> but what what it is that they did? I mean, is someone who comes to the center who doesn't know how to use the water fountain? Oh, Oh. Philosophies are very different.
2: I just wanted to use something that like, work philosophy is different things,
0: it seems like very great into who and what we are. Yes. Okay. Now some things there's no remedy for certain things in life. And so of course either you change or it's just uh a broken record of suffering. Do you see what I'm what I'm getting at?
2: I'm not sure I changed
0: okay. it. Okay. Uh let's take obvious examples. Certain thi- there are certain harsh realities. Again, out of an interview a while back. Uh, someone has a burning desire to be a doctor. But they're fifty years old, they have five children, and they have a high school education. And they're suffering because they really want to be a doctor. So, just, so that compassion is saying, look, is there, a, is there a, a snowflake chance in hell that you can become a doctor? No. Okay. Drop it. You have to change. You can't become a doctor. It's over. Or I remember a point where I realized I couldn't become a professional basketball player. <laughs> okay, you know, it took a while to see it. You're five nine and a half. Get that through your head. And you can't jump from like some people who are five nine and a half who jump as if they're seven feet tall. You're not one of those people. Drop it. You're not going to be a basketball player. But how, then the if starts. But and if and all that. At a certain point, you just drop it. You have to change. The world's not going to change. There are a lot of things that we cannot get or do. Can you do and get and be anything you want? I, I can't. Maybe you can. So that it's often, we don't get our way a lot in the world. Have you noticed? We, a lot of things. So that, and that's part of the, the beauty of the spiritual path, is that either we learn how to put shoes on our feet so that wherever we walk we don't get hurt or else we're endlessly trying to roll out leather, you know, to kind of change reality so that it can be the way we want it to be. And it's quite exhausting. You need a lot of leather. So essentially what you're saying,
2: seeing what I can change and what I really
0: can't change and what I can't yeah. just let go. Well, uh, there's some Christians in the audience. <laughs> what is that, you know, was it St. Francis, you know, having the wisdom to know? Can anyone, does anyone remember that one? It's a very beautiful piece of wisdom. To know, to know what I can change, what I can't change. And to know the difference between them. To know the difference between them, to, you know, to change what you can if you can't, and to be able to tell the difference. It, it's much more beautiful in the way I just said it. But. Did you ever work it out with this water thing, or is it still going on? yeah i uh, what uh, what's the mental state of this person who can't learn how to use a drinking fountain I, I don't think I understand that one, but all right anything else before we close up shop for the night what you have that very pensive no um Who is uh, leaving? I know you're leaving at the end. Any other people who are stopping tonight or is there not going on? Because most people are continuing for the remaining five weeks. Anyone else? Okay. Okay. Let me very, very quickly suggest something, and then I think you should hear the tape because it will fill in the pieces. Much of what we've been doing has been laying the groundwork, preparing the mind to be able to do the work of wisdom, and that's the remaining four, starting with impermanence, and a lot that comes out of that. And what we then do is you then imply, let's just take impermanence, you would take this uh, seeing everything as changing, and you would go back to Contemplation one and work your way through everything that we've done, seeing but now looking at it from the point of view of impermanence so that you actually develop wisdom on every... We've already gone through all, every, anything, PT and Sukha and the whole gang, you know, uh, tracking and whatever, whatever we've done, you know, but now you look at it as seeing it arise and pass away, arise and pass away, while breathing in and breathing out. And then that leads to liberation. It leads to... The final step is just total letting go of, of anything, all kalesas, just letting them go, everything. Total letting go is total freedom. So that's the heart of what awaits us. And maybe the tape will help you a little bit with that. And again, if you want to keep going this direction, you can come to the class and you want to, uh, I'll be happy to talk to you about it in interviews. Yeah.
1: Let me just be clear about what we should be doing this week. Yes. Um, you said we could do any 9, 10, or 11, but especially we should do 12. That's it. To do
0: 12. Mm-hmm. Um, you need sure. samadhi to do it.
1: Right. First, we get real calm. That's right. And then we watch the mind. Right. And as we watch the mind,
0: you see anything? Any? Yes.
1: We let go.
0: Yeah. Now, um, so that let's say, typically, uh, let's say you're sitting for an hour, devote a fair amount to that, to calm. Now, if the mind doesn't get calm, I wouldn't do it. It's just not going to be worth your while. You might want to play around just to get a feeling for it, but. Um, one good thing is just get relatively calm. Let's say you see the mind is as calm as it looks like it's going to be in that, that morning sitting or that evening sitting. And then, uh, then get some experience. Get, get your, your feet wet by just looking at it from the point of view of seeing if there's any grasping at anything. And if so, seeing if you can't release it. A thought, anything. Yeah, that, that's what it is. Okay, can we have a moment silence then? Sitting quietly, doing nothing. Spring comes and the grass grows by itself. That's our practice. Just breathe, and know the breathing, and know whatever else is in the mind from one point of view of another. Alert, relaxed, and let all the troubles take care of themselves. But in order for that to happen, you have to sit quietly and do nothing. It's a special, a very special kind of doing nothing. up where we left off and we'll next week um, work with this last one and possibly go into 13 13, which is the contemplation of impermanence thank you for listening to learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate